hello everyone and welcome to the School for CEOs Leadership Insight podcast. Um, today I'm delighted to have Sean Kingsbury with us um, for this episode and Sean is a member of our faculty at the School for CEOs, was also the former CEO of UK Green Investment Bank. Welcome Sean. Hi. Um, Sean, how did you get involved in the faculty at School for CEOs? Well your father asked me to, uh, to join, would I come along and take a class? He'd done some work with us at the Green Investment Bank around coaching some of our staff so I said delighted to do it you'll have to decide whether the content's any good so maybe I'll be invited back again in the future we'll see and I believe you have been invited back. I have been invited yes. back I mean, yeah I'm slightly tongue-in-cheek um so we're going to talk about the green investment bank a little mm-hmm. bit later on that was the world's first green bank um and you built that from scratch um up to its sale which was for 2.3 billion uh within a five-year time span um, like I say, we will come back to this and this experience and what you took from that in due course. But I'd like to start by asking about a little bit of your background, um, kind of where your leadership journey begins. Well, I guess, uh, as you can probably tell from the funny accent, I grew up in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I went to school there and went to university there. And uh, so for me, even leaving there was a huge decision. You know, my family was there. My whole life and experience had been there. And so... I went on the milk run like a lot of people do when they were finishing up their uh, their course. I did a business course, and uh, Shell, uh, after a two-day assessment centre, offered me uh, offered me a job in London. And I had such a miserable time in my two days in my on my assessment course in London that I actually said no, thank you. I don't want to move to London. It's a bit scary for me. And so uh, I took a job working for them in Chester. And of course, within a year, I'm in London, and within you know a couple of years. I'm in the middle of Borneo working on one of their projects. And I was so naive. Uh, we really didn't have a clue. My wife and I, we accepted this role in, in Borneo and I'm not sure we could have even picked it. I picked out Brunei on the map. And we were, we arrived, we flew in and uh, we arrived in the office the first day and they said, oh, I'm afraid you've got the wrong visa. You'll have to travel out of the country again. Um, why don't you come down on Friday morning and we'll put you on a ferry across to Malaysia and we'll get your visa sorted out. So having grown up in Northern Ireland, I, I know what a ferry is. It's a huge big ship. You put you know, 200 cars and a whole bunch of lorries on it. And so I showed up, I wanted to let the company down, you know, shirt, tie, linen suit, dark glasses, uh, uh, ready for the my ferry trip. And when we got down to the ferry port, it turns out the ferry is really a dugout canoe with an outboard engine on it. So I'm sitting there, suit, shirt, tie, dark glasses, linen suit, uh, going through the mangrove swamps at about 20 miles per hour, surrounded by chickens and the vegetables for the uh, local market. So completely naive. But uh, it started my interest in travel, and I had the good fortune to be posted abroad uh, four times in, in total. So the journey starts off in Belfast, but ends up taking me all around the world, which is an amazing thing. And you said that London was a bit too scary. Um, you didn't have a good time at that two-day invest- yes. assessment centre, but then you took this global opportunity. What what made you say yes? I, I think you grow up a little bit. Uh, you see new things and you meet new people and it changes your perspective. And back then, before we had all of the internet companies, the oil companies were the biggest companies in the world. I think when I joined Shell, it was the biggest company in the world and certainly the most international. And so eventually some of your friends start getting posted to really interesting places and you think you're missing out. So you, you grab one of those opportunities and you take it. And you don't really know what you're letting yourself in for. 
But the company was very paternalistic. It looked after us a great deal. And uh, we found ourselves living in the Borneo rainforest with, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful animals in the back garden and having to deal with the local culture and just really experiencing things for the first time. It's a tremendous experience. And I was in my, you know, early mid-twenties at the time. So the chance to do this and to travel, to spend time in Singapore and in Hong Kong and then be posted to the States. When we arrived in Houston, it was the first time we'd ever been to the States as well. So uh, lots of firsts. And, and then your view on the world changes. You see that people are the same wherever you go. You feel much more comfortable and you, and, and you take the opportunities when they present themselves. And that kind of leads me into my next kind of theme, I suppose, because mm-hmm. you, you're one who loves taking opportunities. You describe yourself as an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. Um, so there's a bit of kind of attraction yes. to risk there, isn't there? There is. Uh, I guess an entrepreneur is someone who works within bigger corporates to start up businesses and an entrepreneur is someone who works outside. And I've, I've done both. I guess I figured out uh, within the first eight or nine years of my uh, my business career that I really like starting things up. I kind of I like the future. I see things that uh, I see links where there are opportunities, and I tend to go towards areas where uh, where there is some risk and there's something new. I guess I run towards the areas that sensible people run away from. But you know, I I enjoy that. I've probably done five or six startups, some within corporates, probably GIB, which would be my biggest one, I guess, the Green Investment Bank, would have been my fifth or sixth. But I started up an energy trading business. I was part of the startup team. I didn't lead it. Uh, with Shell in Houston, we set up a business called Coral Energy to compete with Enron, as it was then. I set up Shell Energy Services, which was designed to take the Shell brand into the utility market, which they're now again chasing today, having bought a utility company here in the UK. And then I started up and got into my own uh, businesses with a small wind farm development business uh, called Windforce, and that was the first one outside of corporate. And that's what I've really been doing. I I tend to gravitate gravitate to things which which are new and innovative. I find it more interesting, I guess, for me, big corporates uh, are probably not the best place to uh, to do what I do. It's better to do it with the backing of them, with the capital. I work in a capital-intensive business. And so uh, getting the opportunity to start something like the Green Investment Bank was tremendous because it's not very often someone comes down and says, would you like to start the world's first of something? And here is almost four billion pounds to start it. It's the best finance startup I've ever done or ever likely to do. You've spoken a bit about taking opportunities and being ready and open to taking those opportunities and you're, again, your attraction to things that others yes. run away from. Um, but how deliberate have you been in your career transitions or is it just about being flexible and open when the opportunity arises? I'd like to say I'm very strategic and thoughtful <laughs> but of course there's an awful element of uh, opportunism and you tend to focus on the things that people put in front of you. So I guess what, what I tend to do is go out, I, I have a general plan and I go out and I test it around the areas and then you get introduced to people and introduced to opportunities. And then I look through the risks and the probabilities of, of success and try to choose the things which give me the control. That's a big thing for me. I like to be in charge of what I'm doing. I like to be able to drive the strategy and drive the execution. And so I think a lot about the risks but I tend to be uh, excited about the opportunity and I'm willing to take those risks, figuring out that uh, if you pull some of these off, which I've been fortunate enough to do, they're great fun, 
uh, you learn a lot and it's just such a unique opportunity that it's worth taking the risk for. Yeah. They don't all work for sure and you sometimes learn more in the ones that don't work but that makes you a bit wiser and a bit smarter the next time around and you get the balance better. But yeah. it's, not a, it's not a role for everyone. If you're uncomfortable with it, if you worry about the fact that you don't know what's coming around the corner or where the next steps are, you should probably not do it. I'm one of those people who doesn't really worry about it. I tend to focus on fixing it and, uh, and sort of roll with the punches. But when I go to hire people into one of these startup organizations, I need to make sure that they're comfortable with ambiguity because if they're not comfortable, they'll worry a great deal. And so that's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a character trait, I guess. And uh, I think I have an extreme version of it. And, and that worry becomes a distraction and a real weakness. Yes, it, it does, absolutely. You need to be able to be comfortable at driving these things forward, at building the strategy. You always need to have a plan of where you're going and a plan of how you intend to get there. But you have to be flexible because sometimes the world uh, laughs at your plans and uh, you, know, you need to change, uh, change direction and pivot around something. And so if you don't have a plan, I think it doesn't work. But if you have a plan and you're too rigid about it and you don't accept that it's going to change, you worry about it and, uh, and you, you run the risk of, uh, of therefore becoming quite, quite stressed. So one of the key things I always check when I'm uh, looking to hire people is just how adaptable they are and how comfortable they are with ambiguity. Because while we will tell a great story about where we're going, the secret is we don't really know most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. Oh, I'm recording, Sean. <laughs> um, you do a lot of work in kind of sustainability, renewables. Yes. Um, what drew you in? Was it a strong ethical desire, you know, desire to work in that sector? Well, originally it was one of the emerging themes from the energy business. I got involved in the renewables business about 20 years ago. So before it was sort of cool or hip or trendy or people even had heard about it, I set up my first wind development business. And what really drew me in was, was this theme around you know, a, a major macro change. I got interested in the technology and the fact it was something new and innovative. And, and if, and if successful, would need some of the big energy project financing, major project skills that I had learned through the oil and gas business. But as I got more and more involved in it over the last 20 years, I got, uh, I, I got the chance to learn more and more about the science of climate change and why what we're doing within renewables and sustainability is a really important thing. And as my, my knowledge grew around that subject matter, I got more and more genuinely committed to it. So I started off because it was interesting and commercial, and I ended up very committed to it. In fact, just about everything I do at the moment is around sustainable finance or green energy because of the importance of it. Now, you know, hopefully I was uh, lucky to pick some of the best opportunities and, and we've seen how the technology has developed. It's now the cheapest form of energy generation in pretty much everywhere around the world. So it's been good to have been a part of that. It's been good to have been building some of the more innovative things. The Green Investment Bank, as you said in your introduction, was the world's first green investment bank. So there was no business plan. There was no great uh, thing you could do that look at another one and say, we'll do what they did. But now there are nearly 20 of these organizations around the world. So it's great to have created a model that's admired and copied around the world by other people. And that's what we set out to do. So I started out really being commercial. And now what I do is I guess I would describe it as you know green and commercial. It has to be green and profitable. Mm -hmm. If we're going to solve the challenges of climate change, we'll only solve it 
not through the application of government money because there isn't enough, but by a wave of private capital coming into this market. And they'll only do that if we make money. So I guess one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes, the uh, FT ran a, a sort of critical article at one stage on the Green Investment Bank saying that we've been accused of too commercial. I have a copy of that, which I have framed in my office. <laughs> that was exactly what we set out to do. Right. Fascinating. And uh, I'd like to come back to Green Investment Bank mm-hmm. um, as well. And, and actually just that whole building something from scratch as an entrepreneur as well. And how do you detach yourself from you know your baby essentially you know yeah, you spent yeah. put a lot of emotional energy into build something up and how do you recognize you know it's quite hard if I'm if I'm honest because one of the joys of building something from scratch rather than taking on something else someone has done is you have all these experiences through your career that you say oh if I get to build a business I'm going to have this type of culture or that type of investment process or these types of uh, of, of visions for the you know for the future of of the institution, and so a blank sheet of paper is a fantastic thing. So you start out while you're incredibly busy, trying to do all the things that you want to do in the way that you think will work best. And as the first CEO, you make an imprint on the culture of that business. And if it if those things work well, which they did in the in the case of the Green Investment Bank, you build something that hopefully people love to come to work in. We, we built a business with a mission, and that's quite a great thing, because when you get up on a Monday morning, it makes you jump out of bed, you know, and because you think we're doing something great and commercial, and we're doing something really worthwhile. And when I went to recruit people, after we'd had the first few months to establish what we were really about, I had this tremendous line of these super bright, particularly young people coming to work, because they said, we want to be part of this. We want to see something like this. This is a theme or a macro trend for the rest of our lives and careers, and we want to have a, a role in it. And you're going to do interesting things. And when you have that, you're not trying to convince people to come. You've got, you know, people are lining up. You're, you're just seeing this tremendous group of talented people coming to do it. That's fantastic. When you step away, it's quite difficult, right? It's a huge part of your life. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those workaholic types, so I spend a huge amount of time on it. And... Uh, and uh, so it's, it's, it's a difficult transition, but probably the right transition for the bank. As I said at the beginning, what was important was to be profitable as well as being green and to get this wave of private capital coming in. So the best demonstration that we were doing it right was private ownership of the bank. And so to be able to build it up, turn it profitable, and have it acquired by a, you know, a very significant institution that was you know, focused on building it was, was a sign that we got it right. But there are times in life when it's, it's time to move on. I like running my own things and to fold into a bigger company, which needed to change you know, the, way, the way that things were done to fit it and to, uh, to fit its acquisition. Uh, it probably would have been a difficult transition. So better to declare victory tie a nice bow around it and hand it off, which I've done to the new owners and let them take it forward and then go find something else to do, right? So life's full of opportunities. And you kind of stressed the, the, the great, you know, opportunity to create the culture that you want. So how, we talk about culture a lot um, mm-hmm. on our leadership programs and 
it's it's not easy to define and mould and shape a culture. So were there kind of conscious decisions that you made, things that you did to try and nurture this? Yes, there were. Um, one of the things that was, we had some constraints being owned by the government. We couldn't pay people full market salaries. And so we had to ensure if we were going to get the, uh, the best people, which we absolutely got, that we would have to offer a combination of things that wasn't just all about the money because we couldn't compete if it was all about the money. And so at the beginning, I had some very clear thoughts on that. But rather than me push to decide what the culture would be, we got teams of people together and we asked them, we said, what's the culture you would like? Now, not what's the culture you would like in everything in life. What's the culture you think will cause us to succeed as a green investment bank here in the UK? And so it's got to be relevant. We don't want people saying, you know, well, we like every Thursday and Friday off and we never like to have to come to the office. That, that's not helpful. That's not realistic. And so we set up a number of key themes and we had a little kind of dragon's den, if you like, early on where people would come and we say, we think a key theme should be transparency. This is why, this is how it would work. And they pitched their themes. We selected four or five of these, of these themes. And so they really came from the bottom up. And then we would uh, we'd test ourselves on them. So we brought in after a year and a half, just like you would typically uh, go through and, and have a review of your board. How is it working? How is it pro progressing? We had a review of our culture. We brought in, I think it was KPMG, to do an independent audit where they went around and they talked to all of the staff. They did an online survey. They did a number of one-to-one -one interviews and they did a number of in-depth focus groups. And they said, we've never had and never seen engagement levels it was something like 96 or 97% of the people returned their questionnaires on time and engaged in the process. They said, the only time we usually see this is when it's a complete mess. <laughs> and they want people, you know, people are feeling angry and they want to complain. It's very rare you get this level of engagement in a, in a process where things are positive. And look, we didn't get everything right. We had to make some adjustments, but being open to it. And then of course we, we shared all the results, words and all these things we said we would do, these things we've, scored pretty highly on these things we said we do we haven't done so well on and that's what you're telling us so here's some implementation plans for things which will make these better and so i guess at the end it was a unique opportunity to have that blank sheet of paper to build something that the team wanted to build that was appropriate for uh, for the business that we were running and i'd say it was very successful we have very low attrition rates despite not being able to pay people in a business investment banking where you know pay means a lot so i would say it was successful and maybe uh, there's a lot that we can learn that i can take to my next business whatever that is mm. so it's really about empowerment and about getting them to decide exactly and mold the workplace and transparency in a flat mm. organization that we could deliver so people would come with this idea that this is a macro trend a macro theme for my career so the best thing you can do is make all of the key meetings open. In most investment processes, you know, there's two or three senior people get to go into the boardroom with their papers prepared, the debate, and then they come out with black smoke or white smoke. We, we had a completely open and transparent investment committees, for example, so anyone could come and anyone could speak. And they would hear, you know, they would hear the debate, they would hear the debate around the risk of this versus the return. They would learn a little bit about the due diligence process. They would hear what some of the more senior and experienced people were worried about. And you learn a lot more. So if we couldn't pay you a full amount, full market salary, 
we could at least get you a master's in renewable energy that would come along. And I knew that uh, had happened when uh, one of my staff came and said that they were moving on to another job. They wanted to do something a little bit more entrepreneurial. And now with this in you know this Green Investment Bank on their career, they had enough blue chip uh, CV points on their CV, which I thought was great because when we started it, there was ten of us in a room, right? So it it works, and there's a lot to learn from it. And I think people enjoyed seeing how it all came together. Resilience. I'd hmm. like to ask you about um, you know entrepreneurship. It's not for the faint-hearted. So. You've had ups and downs through your career, and um, you strike me as someone who's incredibly optimistic. Uh, so, how, how, where does the resilience come from, and how do you how have you dealt with some of the setbacks in your career? I, I yeah, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint-hearted. There's times when you're incredibly busy and successful, and there's times when you're not quite sure how you're going to fix things, right? And that's uh, that's the life of an entrepreneur. And I think you have to have the ability to bounce back. I don't know where the resilience comes from. Maybe it's a character trait. Maybe uh, maybe it comes from my youth. But uh, I guess uh, I, I always had this. So I'll tell you a story. When I uh, when I was uh, leaving school, I decided I would be an engineer. And after three months of being an engineer, I find I was a really terrible engineer. <laughs> I didn't fit. I couldn't score well. My results were terrible. And so I I, I crashed out of university. And having spent a few months doing sort of menial work, I decided, mm, I'm not sure that was such a clever idea. Let me go back. And so the only thing I was interested in, my father and mother both ran small businesses, was, was business. And I thought, well, let's give that a try. So I, uh, I went to uh, Ulster University and I, I found myself outside the Dean of Faculty's uh, office at, I think it was Easter time. And they were all off. And so I basically stood outside of his office for two days until he came back and then talked him into giving me a position. He said, of course, have you filled in the UCAS paperwork? No, but I'll do it. And I told him I wasn't going to leave until he let me in. When he gave me the nod, I went home, filled in all the paperwork, got all my results from my old school, brought it back and stood outside his office until I put them into his hand and he confirmed that I had a position. I guess it's just one of those things. I'm not a person who gives up easily. Uh, it's a character trip. Maybe it comes to my family. I have no idea. But uh, once you have it, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in one sense. You do, uh, if you excuse the pun, tilted windmills, you do give things a go and you don't give in easily. Um, and sometimes, you know, that, that ability to stick at things uh, drives you a little bit nuts too. But, but that, that's all part of it. So uh, maybe I'll put it down to my youth. So a bit of resilience, a bit of stubbornness maybe. A bit of stubbornness, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, so... Um, What's next for, for you, Sean? I guess uh, the joy of being an entrepreneur is there's lots of stuff out there, right? I'm very fortunate to work across two industries, uh, as well as renewable energy. I'm particularly interested in the new mobility sector. Uh, one of my fun jobs at the moment is sit on the Envision Virgin Formula E racing team. So I get to see this community of people as we assemble around the world to race these electric cars and show what really can be done and the impact for smart cities and climate change. And both the renewable energy business, the energy business as a whole, and uh, the mobility business are going through significant changes. For the energy business, the move away from fossil fuels to renewable energy, but it brings with it uh, challenges because of intermittency and the new need for energy storage and the need for digital systems that upgrade our grid. 
And on the mobility side, we have three things coming together, electric vehicles and the charging infrastructure that's needed. We have autonomous vehicles and all the new things. So, you know, in a few years time, maybe something will be able to, you know, show up and, uh, and pick you up. They won't have a driver in it. And then, of course, the new, the new business models around mobility, everything from Zipcar to Uber. You put all of these things together, they cause tremendous change. And if you're an entrepreneur, change is what you, you really need because that generates opportunities. People will solve these problems. People will provide solutions. And so it, it's great. So I'm, I'm starting a sustainable finance business to provide capital for sustainable soy in Brazil. I'm working on the establishment of an electric vehicle charging infrastructure business. And I'm talking to a number of people about providing capital for some of the challenges around the energy transition. So incredibly busy. It's a fun place. I, I, I really love this and hope to spend the rest of my time building businesses. I'm not quite ready for uh, the boardroom yet, <laughs> maybe another 10 years, but I hope to, uh, to lead another business. And in the process, I hopefully will start off and spin off a couple of others that I'll stay involved in. But anything clean and green and sustainable, it's a great place. There's lots of interesting things happening. And uh, let's look for some more successes. And, and what would you say, what do you think is the most exciting kind of development that's going to happen in the next five-ish years in your industry? Five-ish years. I, I think we will be close to autonomous vehicles within five years. And there may be ones that you still sit behind the wheel, but they take care of most of it. That's distinct mm -hmm. from ones without anyone. But I think when you're able to do that, uh, you will take out a significant amount of cost because the driver is the biggest cost. So if you if you uh, if you take an Uber today, the driver is the biggest cost, and an Uber is more expensive than owning your own vehicle today if you utilize it a reasonable amount. But if you take the driver out of it, it's much cheaper. And so the idea that one day you can just hit a button on your phone and someone will well not someone but a, a pod will show up or a car will show up depending on what structure it takes. And it will take you reliably and safely to where you're going. And what we don't know is will that car, will that vehicle have a vehicle brand on it that you would recognize today? Will it be Ford or Volvo or you know, someone like that? Or will it be Amazon or Google that's on the front of it? Or someone you've completely never heard of, much like Tesla was 10 years ago. And so that whole transition, the implications it has for the grid, the improvements we can make in air quality, particularly around the cities. You know, in the UK last year, they estimated, and it is an estimate, 30,000 people died early as a result of poor air quality. If we can solve that with clean, green electric transport and make it safer at the same time, wouldn't it be great to play a role in making all of that happen, particularly around an iconic city like London? So uh, something like that, perhaps. Yeah. And, um entrepreneurship if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who's thinking about starting up their own venture uh, what would that be I guess to give it a go right so if you have an idea think about the risks think about the funding I'm not suggesting people sort of step off into the abyss without thinking about it but one day you'll look back and you'll say at least I had a go hopefully it's successful hopefully you do something great with it but you never want to look back when you're past the point of starting a business or you've reached that time in your career where you're wanting to step down and say, I should have tried or I should have given it a go. So give it a go. It's not for everyone. 
it's not for the faint-hearted. You need the right uh, ability to deal with the ambiguity. But you can always do things alongside your job. It doesn't have to be this big event where you suddenly go, I'm going to give up my career, my job, my income, and I'm going to chase this dream. It can be something you do on the side. It can be something that you get involved in. It can be something that's new and innovative that you do with some of your spare time. And you'll learn stuff from that. And uh, who knows, maybe someday you will feel like it turns into something you can't step down from. But uh, it sounds a bit trite, but follow your dream on it. Give it a go. Give it a try. You've been listening to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights podcast with host Gemma Soul and guest speaker Sean Kingsbury. We hope you found today's episode interesting, insightful and entertaining. Personally, I was struck by Sean's openness, his sense of optimism and his unwillingness to let ego get in the way of a good story. You can follow our podcast through host platforms Spreaker or on Spotify or iTunes. Just search for School for CEOs Leadership Insights. Thank you for listening. See you soon.